welcome to Late of the Rings, a podcast dedicated to Lord of the Rings the card game. My name's John, and here's my co-host, his songs are not fit for these halls, it's Emery. <laughs> Hello John. Hello mate, how are you doing? Not bad. My songs are not fit for any halls. No, no, no. <laughs> Make that pretty clear. Especially church halls. Oh <laughs> yeah. boy. As I found out to my cost in, in the past. <laughs> I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm all right. Yeah. Um, I'm another year older. I had my birthday uh, this past week. Of course. Week. Happy birthday. 111. 111, indeed. Which uh, <laughs> it, you wouldn't think it to look at me, but. Uh, but, but you're still here. You haven't, you haven't aged a day. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that was nice. I mean, I, di- I didn't go anywhere, but, you know, but that's the same old story. With that one, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I had, but I had a very nice time. Um, other than that, what else have I been up to? Oh, I tell you what, it's actually a minor miracle that we're even talking to each other today because yesterday I got it into my head that I thought it would be a good idea to flash my router with new firmware. Now I don't know if you've ever considered doing something like this, but it's the most terrifying thing in the world. I must say that thought has never occurred to me in my life. <laughs> what? Okay, first off, I think I understand what that is. But second, what prompted you to to do this? Were you having problems? Or? No, no, not well, not really. Only the uh, oh god, this is very boring. But the uh, the stock <laughs> firmware on my router is notoriously dodgy and has security flaws, and I, I like to fiddle with things technologically. <laughs> Basically. I mean, you would just want to mess around. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> um, but we've become so reliant on the internet and being able to communicate with the outside world via technology that the idea that you could purposefully do something to your own router and it could essentially shut everything down is horrific. And I don't know why I put myself through it, but uh, but I did it and it seems to be working. I mean, we're, we're talking to each other, so uh, yeah. yeah. Have you seen any improvements? <laughs> God no. You sound the same. <laughs> I I feel more secure. Okay, okay, that's very important, especially in these trying times. What's yeah. the phrase everyone uses? Yeah, try right. these <laughs> unprecedented times. I can't remember what the phrase is. Everyone always uses challenging, challenging times. <laughs> and what about yourself? Have you been up to anything nice? Oh, please, for the love of God, tell me you've gone outside. I mean, I've been outside. You know, you're allowed to go outside, but really not for not for anything major. It's loosened up a touch. So what are we now? We're we're kind of mid to late June. It's uh, loosened up a bit here in the UK in that you can get it, get together in groups of six. So I managed to have a sort of family get together uh, last weekend, which was really nice. That was nice to see everybody, but that was a bit of a one-off. Um, and aside from that, yeah, it's just basically been the same. Although they have started playing sports again here now. So the football season restarted a few days ago. It's such a relief. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's just really bizarre. Oh, it's odd. It's very peculiar. <laughs> I don't think I like it, to be honest. <laughs> just seems a bit, I don't know, a bit plastic. Well, I actually got quite used to the football not being on. So it's like I, I, I thought I'd be more excited for it to be back. Yeah, same here. But actually, it's like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think being like, I think it made this, this break has made you realise that being a sports fan is actually 
kind of 99% pain and frustration. <laughs> and it was quite nice not having that for a while. You know, there was no hope or expectation or anything like that to get destroyed. <laughs> and that was come back. So, uh. There never really was much hope. <laughs> Just a fool's hope. <laughs> Is there any other kind of hope? Not really. Not really. <laughs> That's a lovely turn of phrase, John. You should uh, you should make a note of that. One. I'll write that one down. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, before we get started, I've got a couple of announcements. One, I need to make an official clarification. Oh, this sounds serious. <laughs> it is serious. Last episode of Late of the Rings, I stated that the deck I was using in the Hunt for Gollum quest had a starting threat of twenty-four. Now. We often make mistakes on this show and we brush over it. And I, and I listened back to the recording. I thought, well, okay, I've mentioned that my deck has a starting thread of 24. It was with Eowyn, Dunhir and Legolas. And it doesn't take much to work out that that is actually 26, not 24. And I thought, well, I only mentioned it once. I mentioned it about four or five times in the show about <laughs> how I managed to do this and how I managed to do that because my starting threat was only 24. <laughs> <laughs> it's only a couple it's only a couple but it i, I like i said I, I listened to it and i thought oh well i said 24 that's not 24 it's 26 for sure and then i thought well okay not a problem and then i mentioned it again about two minutes later and then i listened on for a bit more and then i mentioned it again and then you said something about starting threat and i said well you may recall my deck only has a starting threat of 24 so it's really not a, so i thought oh i'm gonna have to raise this this <laughs> i can't let this lie somebody else does <laughs> <laughs> it's been bugging you hasn't it well yes <laughs> do you now feel a great weight has come off your shoulders <laughs> you feeling better i thought i'd feel better to be honest <laughs> it'll, it'll come in time it'll yeah. come in time yeah yeah um but an, innocent, an innocent mistake i think yeah in no way did late of the rings wish to deceive any of our listeners <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure players other players will be able to add up their, the cost of their cards better than you and I. Oh, I'm sure. I, I just picture the people who's like putting this deck together going, oh yeah, that's a nice collection of heroes. We'll put it together. It's got a starting throw of 24. 24, it's got 26. And then just hurling the cards across the room, deleting <laughs> their subscription to the podcast. Going, well, these guys, what do they know? I thought you were going to say it was. It should have been 34. <laughs> <laughs> He's made, a, he's made a whopper. He's done a... It's the kind of thing I do. The inadvertent cheating. But um, but actually, yeah, it just sounds like an innocent little mistake. It That's is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, uh, so that, that, was, that, that was just a bit of fun, of course. But um, the other sort of announcement is I think we should acknowledge the passing this week of Ian Holm. Of course, the actor who played Bilbo in The Lord of the Rings, as well as... Uh, acting in many other great films, uh, Brazil, one of my favourites, um, Alien, of course, and, well, a star of stage and screen. And, um, yeah, well, we're not going to dwell on it, but we are obviously a Lord of the Rings podcast, and he was a huge part of that film franchise, and I don't think it would be right to to not acknowledge it. Yeah, I totally agree. He was, um, yeah, just, he was an amazing actor, obviously, in this generation, he's probably best known for Lord of Rings, and obviously fans of Lord of Rings will recognise from that. And he was brilliant in that. I, I remember um, Peter Jackson talking just... Yeah, he wasn't in it a great deal, but I remember him being really glowing about 
incredible work that he did there, always offering something different every take he did. And this is something that lots of directors have said about him. I remember the first time that he really struck me was when I was a kid. We had um, Time Bandits. Oh, yeah. On uh, on video. And my favourite bit was always <laughs> when his performance is Napoleon. He's completely <laughs> paranoid about his height. And it's just it's just comic masterstroke. And I think that's what he could do. You know, you watch him something like Chariots of Fire or something like that. You know, he could be really funny. He could be dramatic. He could be pointy. He was just one of those great actors. And I'm not just obviously saying that with the sad news about him this week. I think that's genuinely what what he was. And he'll be remembered fondly, I think, by all who saw him. Absolutely. I had to chuckle to myself when I was watching his obituary on the news because you mentioned Napoleon there and they, and they said, well, he often took roles which, um, because he, he had a diminutive stature, I think is what they, how they called it. So he was cast as Napoleon and of course it helped for uh, Peter Jackson that his hobbits were all a bit smaller in size, even though they used a lot of effects and, and camera trickery. But then they said, because of his diminutive stature, he took roles where where they needed shorter actors and then they mentioned the borrowers and i thought he wasn't six inches tall (laughs) taking it to the extreme there i believe (laughs) okay we're going to cast the borrowers do we know any short actors (laughs) (laughs) Um, anyway so yeah you know you, you know us we we always try to find some way to have a laugh about something so that that was my laugh at uh, at the sad news um okay but we're not going to dwell on that i just thought we should mention it so we'll um we're going to crack on with the show so this week we are going to be discussing some player cards from the first cycle of lord of the rings card game and specifically today we're going to discuss all the heroes that are released in the Shadows of Mirkwood cycle. So there's going to be six heroes in total we're going to talk about. And I think we're also going to package in with that the the neutral cards that are also in those APs. So yeah, so that's our plan. And then we'll have uh, some of our usual stuff as well at the end of the show. Cool. Okay, so I think we'll start with the first hero that you get when you start the AP. So it's the first hero you see outside of the core set. Wow, that is exciting times. And um, it's quite an apt one. And it's an apt one, indeed. So the first new hero is Bilbo Baggins. There he is. There he is. Okay, so it's Bilbo Baggins. He is a hobbit. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The most famousest of all hobbits. I should think so. I think, wasn't he? Or was that Friday? That was Friday. (laughs) debatable certainly a debate um he has a starting threat of nine he has willpower of one he attacks for one he defends for two and he has two hit points he's a little bit weak so so that that revelation which i had a couple of episodes ago or maybe a few episodes ago where i figured out that the starting threat was the addition of all the other numbers and you said well actually that changes after a while it changes straight away. <laughs> yeah, immediately. <laughs> um, Bilbo has an effect, as all our heroes do. It says, and it's a constant ability, the first player draws one additional card in the resource phase. Nice and simple, but very nice too. Very useful. Yeah, it's super useful. I think this is, um, is this the first hero which allows you to draw additional cards. 
Um, Berivor? You can choose a player to draw cards, or am I making that up? Oh, now you're asking. Now I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Here's Berivor. Oh, yes. Exhaust Berivor to choose a player. This player draws two cards. Level once per round. So I think that's probably my limited use of Berivor. <laughs> Maybe think that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think I use Berivor at all. I, the problem with Berivor, see, now we've gone on a tangent here. The problem with Berivor is that you needed to exhaust her. Yeah, exactly. The fact that Bilbo's effect is constant is great. You know, it just happens. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is with Bilbo, I like him a lot, but mostly because I play solo. So that means that I'm just gathering cards each round. But actually, we've played him a few times together, haven't we? And um, that additional card for the first player can be really handy, even in a two-player situation. But I think maybe in two players, and if you wanted some extra card draw... With a hero, I think maybe actually thinking it through, Berivor is the better choice because you've got so many heroes on the board at that time. You've got you have six out that you could probably afford to exhaust her. Then you could choose who needs the extra cards and give them two, rather than just the one being forced to go to the first player. Yeah, I guess you can do that any point in the round as well. Yeah, if if you were kind of desperate for some reason, you needed a a card or two at a specific point. But yeah, Bilbo is great because. Of yeah, what you said, it's a constant effect which happens at the beginning of every, well, during the resource phase, every round, and you don't have to exhaust him. I think that's yeah, that makes him really useful. And actually, he, his stats aren't great, but if you can find a way to boost up his defense, he could be a defender for you, as long as you, he, he can't take many hits, of course, but if you can boost up his defense, then he could be your defender. And he's relatively cheap, you know, a starting threat of nine is not that high, so... Uh, Oh, yeah. I always like Bilbo. And one additional card is pretty... And you're doubling your cards. Oh, it's tasty. You know, it's... It's, it's one thing I've noticed in this game. There's a general comment, really, is any time it's just one additional... Oh, it's only one. Actually, it makes all the difference. That's a huge difference on your on your card draw. Like I said, it's doubling it every time. 100% more. 100% more. You'll, so you'll get through, you know... When you've got Bilbo in your deck, and I've found that Generally, I mean, how far through your deck do you get every every game? Yeah. Halfway, maybe sometimes more, maybe less, whatever. With Bilbo, there's been a couple of times where it's like, you're getting towards the end <laughs> of your deck. I actually did reach the end of my deck once, and only once. Wow. I'm not sure that was with Bilbo. Well, it was when... Well, maybe, some, maybe something we'll come to later, uh, which was about you're trying to keep your threats low constantly was basically the idea which means you end up having loads and loads of rounds ah okay yeah 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 jumba jumba i i was i was playing and this game had gone on forever and i dropped you a text that said what happens when you're dead out? <laughs> jumba that a yeah, few I weeks did, ago I, did. <laughs> so I didn't know what happened. actually that's a good point just in case that crops up for any players it does actually say this in the rules but he's missed. obviously when you get through the encounter deck that will reset, and you shuffle. Do you shuffle, or uh, yeah, you you shuffle the encounter deck. But oh, and and just to interject there for the encounter set, that is only during the quest phase. If you run out during the quest phase, you reset it. So if you happen to run out during like drawing cards for shadows, you don't reset at that stage. So you'd only reset it when you get round to the quest phase again. 
which is that which is yeah that can be a real godsend right if yeah you're... yeah 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 you, you end up maybe you get an attack with no shadows because you've uh exactly yeah um but sorry i, I interrupted you so yeah no no, no it's, a, it's a it's a good point because that's a important rule uh but conversely your own deck once you're through it you're through it that, that's it you're not it's not coming back good luck buddy <laughs> which which kind of makes sense when you think about it you set off with a certain amount of tools at your disposal and once you've used them you've used them that's it you can't magically get them all back again no no you can't and especially if you think you've got allies that maybe have fallen they're not coming back they're not coming back from the grave yeah (laughs) well yes correct stand and fight (laughs) especially useful with gandalf no sorry (laughs) i can't resist going there okay (laughs) but yes you're right thematically that works really well dwarven tomb can bring back uh Guys from the dead. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ghost yeah. dwarfs. <laughs> now that is a film I want to see. Uh, <laughs> we'll get Ian home. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Too soon? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Almost certainly. Almost certainly. Oh, so, so that's Bilbo. I mean, there's not a really great deal more to say about him. I mean, he's good. He's nice. He's, he's, he's cheap. Um, he is in danger of dying, but um, he does help you. I mean, I, I like to play Bilbo and just I tend to not do anything with him. Just let him sit there and let me give give me the card. And then in a pinch, if I need to defend against some crows or something, which is weak, then sure, I'll use him as a defender. But I mean, you could also, he's an extra questing point, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not, it's not, he's not useless. You know, if you need to chuck in an... I think it's the kind of guy, if you need to just chuck in an extra quest or an extra attack on somebody, you can do that, you know. But yeah, it, it's all about his ability, really, isn't it? Yeah. With uh, with him. And um, it's all about his uh, his hairstyle in this picture. Yes, I mean, it's quite... Uh, what do you think? Well, I don't know. Kind of reminds me of uh, sort of like some sort of far out hat. <laughs> that would be a far out hat to be fair i like i, I love the way the um the candle at the front i think it's done really done really quite beautifully and the shading on his face yeah so i like it yeah. i like it yeah. yeah the hair is questionable in some way but you know he's 71 what are you gonna do exactly he's looking good um <laughs> okay well let's move on to the next hero then who is uh it's another hobbit i don't know if he's as famous or more famous, but his name is Frodo. <laughs> I think I think I know this one. <laughs> and uh, so it's Frodo Baggins. Now, conversely, conversely, is that the right word? Well, we'll fi- we'll find out in a minute. Yeah, and conversely, <laughs> the artwork on here, I think, has been sort of a bit heavily influenced by the films. He's got a touch of the Elijahs about him. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I never really thought of that. But, I mean, the weird thing is, I, I never really pictured Frodo as being that... In my mind's eye, when I was reading the books when I was young, I never really pictured him sort of being as slim as he was uh, depicted in the films by Elijah Wood. But that was just how I imagined Hobbits in general. And then when I saw this card, it's like, yeah, but perhaps I should go back and read it and see how Tolkien actually describes him. Perhaps he describes him as, um, well, as Elijah Wood. That would be something. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I, I like the fact he's got a, a nice mug of tea. Yeah, but a proper mug. I was about, I was literally, mug. I was, I was yeah. about to comment on the same thing, going, oh, yeah, a, 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 he's got a proper mug. 
You know, he's reading the Sunday papers. It looks like that. It's, 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 it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but also you, you can see he's distracted. He's got one hand on a book, but his gaze has been taken over by look by a map or something. It's like, well, one thing at a time, and careful with that tea. He's also, I think, he's got his right sleeve rolled up, but his left sleeve is not rolled up. Mm. I think. Yeah. So yeah, interesting. I mean, um, I have definitely been there myself, <laughs> so I am not judging at all. It's definitely it's a Sunday morning. It's a Sunday morning. Yeah, he's just chucked he's something on. on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay, so enough about the aesthetics of the card. Let's talk about the card itself. So it's Frodo Baggins. He has an even lower starting threat. Threat of seven. Oh, actually, I'm just going to jump back to Bilbo because there's a, there's a vital thing we didn't mention, which is he's a, he's a law hero. We forgot to mention the sphere, which is pretty important. Ha, right. <laughs> but uh, I don't know if we need to go back and actually discuss really what that means or how he fits into law decks. We, sh- I mean, I guess the way you can see it is that law is often seen as the support decks and the ability for the first player to draw a card is very supportive indeed. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think law, there are a lot of cards in law which are about drawing more cards. Yeah. And that's, that's what his ability is. I know the game's not restricted to that, but that's quite a law like ability isn't it yeah it's it supports your way of playing the game so you obviously need your cards out to be able to you know play the game in whatever tactic you've decided and so uh in that respect yeah fits right into the law sphere okay so you can see we're a bit out of practice here so we're gonna we haven't done player cards for a little while so we'll, we'll jump back to frodo he is a spirit hero he has a stunning threat of seven he has two willpower he attacks for one he has two defense and two hit points so it's a it's a hobbit thing that basically two hits in you're dead if you're a hobbit but he has a pretty awesome response so his response is after frodo baggins is damaged cancel the damage and instead raise your threat by the amount of damage he would have been dealt limit once per phase so basically what that means is that yeah you can use him as a defender and let's say he gets attacked by a nasty hill troll who hits for six, then the four hit points that would go on Frodo would go onto your threat instead. Actually, the hill troll is a really complicated example because the hill troll has his own effect of raising threat by any excess damage. So, oh, goodness. Okay, that's a straightaway <laughs> looking one up online jobby, that isn't it? But you get the idea. So that's how Frodo works. Um, See, I, I love, again, the theming of this because i always saw that as when frodo's in really really deep trouble he'll he'll have have to put on the ring which he does a couple of times in the story and that attracts all manner of horrible creatures to his whereabouts but it does at the same time save his bacon so that is almost a perfect one-to-one match of of that isn't it it's wonderful because like you say it doesn't actually outright state that that's what's happening but you just have to make a few little connections it's like we don't even know that frodo's got the ring at this stage but exactly but the idea that hey this little hobbit managed to survive this kind of crazy attack yeah yet um yeah no these orcs have uh have noticed us and uh that can't be good. <laughs> At least Frodo's still alive. Uh, but no, but his ability is super useful if you've got some big hitting enemies around and you can just keep on defending with Frodo. I, I guess this 
also has its limits though because it's gonna <laughs> you know you use this two or three times in a row and your threat is, is 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 shooting up yeah but i think that's what's interesting about him being in the spirit sphere is that yeah. spirit has got the most ways of reducing your threat so if you have a, like a heavy spirit deck you can use frodo as your hero and then with the idea that you're just going to defend with frodo defend with frodo and then use the other spirit cards to uh to reduce your threat back down again and he's got a starting threat of only seven himself anyway so if you pair him up with the right kind of other heroes yeah, you should be a cookie. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember if I've ever used Frodo in a deck before. Actually, oh, you must, you must give him a go. He's lovely. I, I, I will. I, and um, you know, my the idea will be that I, I want to use sort of every hero and every card at some point in in the cycle, at least that it was produced in. So that will definitely happen. I think as we play through the the quests in this cycle, that will definitely happen. And even more surprising because I'm. I'm always quite drawn to the spirit cards generally, but yeah, I'm sure that will uh, that will happen in one of the next few quests. So yeah, I haven't actually seen that effect in in practice uh, myself yet. So I look forward to that. Alrighty, so yeah, so that's so that's Frodo. Um, do you want to read out the next one? Who have we got next? So the next one is a leadership hero, and it's Prince Imrahil, and he has a starting threat of eleven. He has a willpower of two. He attacks for three, got a shield of two, and he's got four hit points. He's Gondor, he's a noble, and his response is, after a character leaves play, ready Prince Imrahil. Limit once per round. Okay, so this guy, I've actually had a fair bit of use out of Prince Imrahil, and it's been when, generally, I've wanted a couple of leadership heroes, and obviously you don't have that many to choose from at the beginning, but his his stats are actually pretty useful. Yeah, you know, he's good all rounder, and he hits for three as well. You know, he's 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 good, and also his response can be really useful as well. So Prince Imrahil essentially could defend and attack, for example, in a round. If you know that one of your allies is about to be defeated or something like that, you know, or you've got like a sacrifice out there, like a snowborn scout who you've <laughs> you've used his ability, and he's you know he's going to take the hit from some nasty guy out there. Then Imrahil, you know, he defends for two, he attacks for three. So to do that twice, and I, and I kind of paired him up with, with Aragorn on a few decks. And even though your starting threat ends up being quite high because of that, it actually gives you a, a, a really nice balance of, of your heroes having the ability to do a couple of things each each round rather than just one. Yeah, I know. I think he's, uh, he's, he's actually really solid. I mean, he's got very, very solid stats. I mean, like you say, he's quite expensive to start off with him, but you get what you pay for. I mean, he's, um, he, he really can do a bit of everything. I mean, he's a pretty solid quester and he's certainly a very nice attacker and defender and his hit points are, are great as well. And like you say, if you know you've got characters which are going to leave play, Snowborn Scout, um, the, the Spearman, and coming up, uh, Eagles, which we'll talk about in an episode or two's time, who love to sort of fly in and out of play. You can ready this guy quite a lot, you know, I mean, obviously once per round. Um, what I thought with Prince Imrahil, which is really nice, is that when I was first collecting the game, was it was really nice at this point to see a a, a proper, that sounds bad, but a, a proper Lord of the Rings character, which wasn't featured in in the films you know like i mean prince imrahil is such i i would say he's pivotal in 
the books. I mean, I think it only comes in in Return of the King. But I do remember, and now we're going to get some some real uh, diehard fans writing in and correcting me here. But I correct me if I'm wrong. Prince Imrahil, his he's the uncle of Boromir and Faramir. I see. Maybe I'm getting this completely mixed up. He his sister was married to Denethor. Yeah, it was something like that, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and he's he, and he. Go on. Yeah, I was trying to remember this as well. I mean, it's been a long time since I've read the book, but I've only read it twice. I think <laughs> only. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think didn't print. Yeah, Prince Imriel comes in Return of the King, doesn't he? Because he's a prince of another region of Gondor, isn't he? He's like a isn't he a ruler of another region of Gondor, something like this? But but he brings a host with him. He brings the swans. That's it. The Swan Knights or whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, and, and as we know, swans are very dangerous. They can break your arm. <laughs> as, <laughs> as those nasty Mordor folk found out. <laughs> Ow! Yeah, oh. Stop it! <laughs> well, stop feeding, stop feeding them bread. Moldy bread. <laughs> Maggoty <Yeah>. bread. <laughs> when are we going to get some meat? <laughs> That was uncannily good. That was a little bit worrying. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, Prince Imrahil, he's the leader of the swans. I, th- I think that's probably a better, a proper, more proper name. But he, actually, hang on. Yeah, you can see it on his chest plate. If you, if you have a look, good close look at his, uh, his armour there, he's got, a little, oh, he's, yes. got, he's got a little swan on it. Yeah, that's it. Um, but he... Uh, so it's coming back to me now. He is the one who brings Faramir back from Osgilia. Uh yes. Because it's his because it's his nephew. Yeah, it's, it's his that's nephew. It. That's he it. sees him and he he brings him back to to Denethor and that's when he notices Denethor is there. And I think actually when Denethor dies uh, please do write in if this is wrong but but I think he becomes the steward of Gondor. But I'm, uh, I really could be making that up. That was one of the main changes. of. I, I totally understand why they made the changes they did for the film to work. I don't think they did anything for the sake of it. For me, I think the biggest change was probably Faramir and his character. Yeah. And how in the, in the film they made it like he was, you know, the younger brother, younger sibling who, you know... His whole, I guess, his main thing was his relationship with his father and all this. But actually, in the book, he's in many ways much wiser, much more spiritual than Denethor and, and Boromir, and he's wise enough to let Frodo go. Like I think that bit in the film doesn't happen. They never go to Osgiliath. He just talks to Frodo and Sam, and realizes that okay, his father would want the ring, but no, he knows the right thing to do without having to do any of that extra stuff. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he just lets him go. Faramir was pretty much the wisest out of all of all of those, that sort of Denethor family. <laughs> but in the film, they do go to Osgiliath, don't they? In the film, they do. But I, mean, I think in the book, they don't. Oh, well, yeah. In the, in the book, I think they let them, just let them go from the pool. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so, so they, they changed uh, quite a bit of that. So just as, as an extension to the Imrahil bit. That, that whole part about Gondor and the story there was, yeah. was, was a big chunk they changed. I totally get why they did it, because it would just be even longer. <laughs> it would be, just be huge. But, I mean, you're right. I mean, I love the films, but th- that whole part of the books, especially really 
kicks off in Return of the King, where you really start to see the different factions of Gondor and the sort of relations between the different different men of Middle-earth and how they all fit together in the, in the large family tree. I actually always really loved that, which is yeah, probably why I here. still have somewhere in the depths of my brain the knowledge of Prince Imrahil. But um, yeah, I do understand why it's not in the film. But um, yeah. But uh, anyway, sorry, back to the card. I mean, he's he's... <laughs> he's He's pretty heroic, this guy. And uh, and when I saw the Prince Imrahil card, I thought, okay, good. Yeah, these guys who are making this game, they really understand the source material. They know that this guy... I mean, they're bringing him in as the third new hero after Bilbo and Frodo. It's like, well, who's next? Oh, how about <laughs> Prince Imrahil? <laughs> you, you know, you know, the brother-in-law of Denethor. <laughs> I think we said this in the very first episode. In the, you know, if this was a film tie-in, we probably wouldn't have got sort of got into it or whatever. But it was, it, it was so. I think to repeat what we said then, it just really evokes the feelings of of the books when you play this game, and this totally aligns with with that. So yeah, I was really happy to see this guy as well. Yeah. No, and 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 that aside, he's a great card. He's really uh, he's really solid. He's like I said, a bit pricey, but there's definitely a lot of use for him, especially in the in the early days of the game. You can, I, I recommend giving him a go. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. All right, so who have we got next? Oh, it's, it's another book only one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now hmm, we have stuff to talk about here. So, so we have a uh, a tactics hero. So the first new tactics hero coming out of the core set. So. It's Brand, son of Bane. He is a tactics hero, and he's from the Dale. And his stats are starting threat of 10. Uh, he has willpower of 2. He has attack for 3. He defends for 2. And he has 3 hit points. So, it's, yeah, pretty solid. You know, not too high a starting threat and uh, pretty good stats. In fact, his stats, apart from his hit points, are identical to Prince Imrahil. Okay, and his action, he's, he's a ranged character, so he can fight across the table. And he has a response. After Brand, Son of Bane, attacks and defeats an enemy engaged with another player. Okay, so we need ranged. Choose and ready one of the player's characters. Now, I have never once played Brand, Son of Bane. Not once. And that, that, and I just want to say, this is mostly because I nearly 90% of the time play solo. So... There's absolutely yeah. no point whatsoever for me to put him into a deck. But that said, I've never really ever considered putting him into a, a two-player deck either. But I think maybe I've been a bit harsh on him. I mean, he's it, it, got pretty good stats. Um, Do you think I just, so? No, go on. No, I just think maybe it's because it's so selfless. It's so selfless, his effect. Because... First of all, you're attacking and defeating an enemy engaged with another player. So that's, I mean, obviously it's good. You're fighting for the greater good, but it's not helping you attack and destroy an enemy engaged with you. Um, and then you choose and ready one of that player's characters. So it's like, yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's really a nice thing to do. See, so just a minute ago, you were talking about the heroism of Prince Imrahil and how that really stayed with you. You read you read this book and thought that was amazing how all these men fit together and they all unify as one. And then for seconds 
the second you get a chance of some heroism of your own, you're nah, chuck that away. <laughs> this came to light, was it last time or the time before? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm not sure you're quite engaging with the um, with the team aspect of the team. If either play, if one hero survives, you've won. It doesn't matter whose hero it is. It's That's all true. of you against the game. That's true. <laughs> Well, I think I was going to say actually on that. Go on. Sorry, no. Go on. I'll give you a chance. No, no. To, I'll give you a chance to defend yourself. No, I have not. No, no, no. I've got no defence. No. I've got no defence on this. <laughs> I was going to say, though, uh, no, to be honest, no, I, I've I've never played him either. I think this is maybe a not a trap, but just maybe the way you, your brain doesn't engage in this way. If you play mainly one player, like I guess most people probably do, when you are p- putting together a two-player deck i don't think you come completely out of yourself and look down and start again and say right okay now i'm playing this two player how am i going to put this together i think you're you know there's certain cards you get comfortable with you know how they work and you do start to think about some synergies of two player but i don't think you think oh maybe i'll play this hero which i've never played before because it might work okay in a two player deck because you don't do that often you probably don't have that much opportunity or time to do it so you might just play it a little bit more safe than you would in terms of constructing your your deck so maybe it is something we should try in a two-player i think we should i think we should give him a go i mean i've also always been a bit put off by his face <laughs> I, I, was, I was about to say as well i think if we did give his a go he's going in my deck isn't he <laughs> yes <laughs> which character do you need ready john i'm going to come kill one of your enemies as well well, no, you'd get to choose. You'd get to choose. And that's what I do like that aspect of this game is that when you get to choose something that happens to your playing partner, that you can just yeah. have a bit of fun with it. It's like, I'll ready the Snowborn Scout. But I can really do with this guy ready. It's, 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 but, but the feeling of that is really good as well, isn't it? It's like, you know, you're engaged with, with an enemy or some enemy's about to attack you, whatever it is. And suddenly somebody from far away just fires an arrow into your enemy's head and yeah. kills him and then you're free to do what you what you need to do you're free to stand up and fight again exactly that's that's actually really cool no it is it is it is good um but you don't like i, I don't like what his face no <laughs> <laughs> what, what's wrong with his face <laughs> is it the headband is it a bit it's low just the it's the pained expression. I don't know. Um, he just looks concerned. But I would also be concerned. He's concerned about others, John. Yes, th- that's it. That's it. That's why I don't recognise the face. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen my face looking like that in the mirror. Yeah. I'm all right. <laughs> um, and I'm trying to think, because I'm, I'm racking my brain whilst we're talking here about where his place in the books and i think he's most famous for being the grandson of um is it brand well it's obviously his dad is bane he's son of bane but no he's brand who who kills smog 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 bard smog bard he's the grandson of bard ah oh so because he's from dale I, 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 I've got to admit, I have to admit, I don't remember him from the. Was he? Well, he must have been Lord of the Rings, not the Hobbit, then. Obviously, because he's grandson. Yeah, yeah, but I, oh, I hold remember. A minute. 
So Bane is the kid. Is, is the kid. Is... Now, okay, right, okay. So I watched the films recently. So Bane was in the films. It's been ages since I read The Hobbit. I don't remember Bane. In, it probably is in the book, but I can't remember. I can't remember. The... He, was, he, was, uh, he was born in the darkness, wasn't he? Ah, is that right? I can't, I can't no, that's, remember. No, that's Batman's Bane, I'm thinking. Oh, <laughs> you think darkness is your ally? <laughs> oh, honestly, because we have to wear these masks and stuff because of the coronavirus, I just expect everyone to speak like Bane. But <laughs> it's been kind of disappointing that people haven't. <laughs> yeah, they should embrace it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, Branton and Bane, and Bane is the son of Bard, the Bowman. Bard the Bowman. Right, right. There's a lot gotcha. of bees in the dale, isn't there? Oh, no, that's in, that's in the bee pastures. That's something else entirely. That's the Bannings. <laughs> oh, boy. So, so Bard, Bane, Brant, right? Yeah. And he's from the Dale. Dale. Yeah, he's from, yeah. It's the Dale, is it? Oh, d- no, let's not start this again. That's the other one. <laughs> the other thing. Which I, just that, Dale. Makes, that makes me think <laughs> that he is probably in the books fighting alongside another hero we're going to come to in a second. So I'll me- that will remind right. me to mention this in a second. Okay. Anyway, so that's Bran's son of Bane. I think, don't think we need to stick on him anymore. But we should, we will, I pledge to you now, dear listener, we shall try a game with Brand and let you know how it goes. Yes, and it'll go in my deck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, the next hero is always going in my deck because I love him. <laughs> and you have used him to save me. I have indeed, I yes. I recall, so. you, you know me, <laughs> selfless. <laughs> and it's another tactics hero, and it is Boromir. It's the big gun. So they, 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 went, they went from Bilbo to Frodo, and they thought, well, we better chuck a couple of uh, lesser-known characters in. Okay, enough of that nonsense. Boromir. <laughs> <laughs> We're bringing in Boromir. Okay, but Boromir is awesome. He is a tactics hero, as I said. He is a starting threat of... 11. Willpower of 1. He hits for 3. Love it. Defense for 2. Pretty good. 5 hit points. Absolutely amazing. So he's a Gondor noble warrior and he has an action. Raise your threat by 1 to ready Boromir. Now that this is my original card. Um, it has since been errated that it's once per phase which I think is absolutely fair enough because you used to be able to just, during the uh, combat phase, just defend, ready him, attack, ready him, attack, ready him, attack. I mean, it, it was pretty impressive when it happened, but um, pretty overpowered. It does say, it, on my, obviously I got this fairly recently, probably a few months ago, whatever. It does say limit once per face on my, so I've got the advanced version. However... Well, I'm, I'm sure it was fought through and debated and all the rest of it. But just thinking about it, I quite like that if you could just do it continually. Because you're still getting one extra threat every time. That's pretty serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's going to catch up with you. Um, I wonder if it, it may have... 
been done. I don't know. This I'm just speculating. Maybe later on, because it's only recently been errated, right? Like last year or maybe two years. So I wonder if in the later spheres there are cards which gain effects when characters ready. I don't know. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. And then perhaps people were finding a way to break it with Boromir that you could just do it over and over and over again. Something uh, like that. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I'm completely speculating there. Okay. But also, like I say, you could really go overboard. And then you end up with just a one-man army as well, which takes some of the, the sort of strategy out of the game a bit. So, But that is not his only ability. It is a pretty awesome ability. Oh, it's great. I love it. I mean, just because you can turn him into a one-man army. I mean, because his defense is pretty good and his hit points are, are very nice. And he hits for three. So you can just be defending with him and then ready him to attack again. I mean, it's terrific. But he has one more ability, another action. And that is discard Boromir to deal two damage to each enemy engaged with a single player. The Boromir bomb. The bomb. (laughs) (laughs) And this is how I saved your bacon the, uh, the other week when we were playing, when I had Boromir. And it was actually quite close to the beginning of the game, wasn't it? I mean, we were just a little bit overrun with enemies and actually Boromir had already taken a few hits and I thought well let's uh if we're going to have any chance of surviving this he's just going to sacrifice himself pull off the bomb yeah that was I'm trying to remember what what quest it was but yeah yeah totally it was um it may have even been escape from Dolgador I think it was you know and it was just like well if we're going to have any chance with this let's just uh let's just clear these guys out right now that's right, because I had a hero in who got taken prisoner. Spoilers. No, we've already done it. <laughs> have we done Escape from Dolgador? Yeah, I know we have. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, that was it. And basically, I ended up, because of the way the first player worked, I ended up with a couple of, well, I had with about three enemies engaged with me, which we had no way of, you know, I was just going to get decimated. Yeah, and then you use that ability and sort of wipe them out, and that was the end of Boromir. So we were down to two heroes each. We thought we were done for, but actually we managed we managed to get through, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, and and I, and I don't think we would have unless we had pulled off the Boromir bomb. Oh, it would have been all over within one or two rounds for sure yeah. if he hadn't done that. So yeah, it was, and you know what? Would you say maybe he sacrificed himself one third of the way through? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, roughly, roughly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah great here I, I but again such good sort of thematic yeah. actions that that he has abilities he has yeah you know he's he's going down fighting this guy <laughs> oh for sure yeah no really uh, i think it's it's a it's a beautifully uh well both actions are very thematic you know boromir will keep standing up for you but he's not going to do it quietly so your threat's going to go up and up and up he's drawing attention to himself He's blowing the horn. Yeah, he's blowing. (laughs) Let's not go down that road again. (laughs) I meant it thematically. I mean, that was deliberate. That was deliberate. (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, that second action, like you say, it's it's that it's the ultimate sacrifice, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And and beyond that, it's just his regular stats are also terrific. I mean, again, a bit pricey, but this is kind of standard starting threat. But yeah, nice. I like him a lot. I still play him. Yep. Okay, so we have one more hero. And he's a dwarf. Oh. And he's <laughs> and he's another leadership. Shall I read him out? Go for it. It's uh, our old friend Dane Ironfoot, 
and he has a threat cost of 11. He has a willpower of 1. He hits for 2. He has 3 shield and has 5 hit points. So, pretty hardy guy. He's a dwarf. And he has an ability which starts to get pretty amazing once you start to explore this these type of cards. While Dane Ironfoot is ready, dwarf characters get plus one attack and plus one willpower. So Very nice. He's kind of awesome, Dane, because it's while he's ready. So he's the leader. I, I, I really love the theming of this. So all dwarf characters get this. So, so imagine if you've got a whole bunch of dwarves. You know, it could be anyone. It could be the old veteran axe hand or whoever. Um, and the more you've got out there, the more you're going to be able to quest and attack and, and what have you. But he has to be ready. So he's like the leader. He's the king standing at the back, commanding everyone. But then, so what it really means, if you really need to use Dane, the best time to use him is right at the end. But he defends for free and he's got five hit points. So he's really good at that. So he's, he's really cunningly designed card i think and i think he's he's really great if you've got a bunch of dwarfs in your deck he's fantastic i really like this guy yeah me too he's, he's terrific but you said the um the time to use him is at the end but of course this is where the dilemma the the dane dilemma comes in is that he is a great defender he depends for three oh, or sorry. five hit points i beg i, I meant attack actually <laughs> thinking about it <laughs> that's what i've used him for before is attacking not defending. yeah well that well that's it yeah because so you you need to keep him ready during the defense phase, which is the problem. So, because you want yeah. to give your dwarves the extra attack point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so, it. if you can find a way to ready him with uh, unexpected courage, then that's great. You can defend with him, use unexpected courage, and then get him ready again so that you can put those extra attacks onto your other dwarves. In terms of the theming, so when I was talking about defending, this is where I probably confused myself. Yeah, absolutely. You want to save him for the attack to use that ability. But if you did need to use him to defend, He's really good at it. So he's like the king going forward and protecting his his men in a very inspirational kind of way. Yeah, I, I, I love the theme of this card. So. No, it's great. It's terrific. <laughs> um, and another thing to, another important thing is that it's all dwarf characters. So if you're playing two players or three players or four players, you have Dane on the table somewhere, he'll be affecting every dwarf in anyone's set. So yeah, if you can get a ton of dwarfs out, then this guy, he's the cornerstone of that. Um, now, Tying it back into what I was saying earlier, I believe, because I know more about the dwarfs than I do about most of the other, uh, than elves, certainly, but um, dwarfs and men. I know about dwarfs and men. Put that on my resume. Um, Dane, spoilers for the book, he dies at the Dale. Or Dale. So I think he, because he's the king under the mountain, yeah? Yeah. From the Hobbit. He's the king under the mountain. He's at the Battle of the Five Armies. And also, this bothers me. Why isn't Dane noble? He's got a crown on, for goodness sake. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Well, I don't expect you to actually know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he acted in an... No, I don't know. He probably should be. Yeah, he's royalty. Right, yeah. He's, he's the king under the mountain. He's got a crown on. Uh, anyway, but he's the king under the mountain. Now, I think he he dies in the Battle of the Dell, which I think that's... And I think everyone dies there. Memory says, I think it's a slaughter. In the Battle of the Five Armies? No, no, in the End of the Return of the King. Um, the, the, the Battle of the Dale, 
is where the dwarven oh, folk yeah. fall. And I think, chances are, he's fighting alongside uh, Brand. But I'd have to look that up. Um, yeah, that's right. I think you're right. Because that was the... Because um, in the book... And we're assuming everyone's either read the book or seen the films or, or whatever. <laughs> never heard. What is what is this Lord of the Rings? I just want to play a card game. You never know. Uh, that's it. But in the book, they destroy the ring about halfway through the Return of the King. It's about, yeah. I think from memory, it's about halfway. So there's a whole like half of the book, which is about what happens. That's not even including the appendices, whatever. It's what happens afterwards. Yeah. And it's that's amazing. So it's obviously their battle's still going on elsewhere, and there's yeah. a whole amazing bit of that. I always love that bit when they come across Saruman and Grima, which is not obviously another big thing they changed in the in, Sharky, in the Sharky, <laughs> Sharky. Yeah, that. Oh, if you don't remember this, you got to go and look it up. Is when Saruman is in the scouring of the Shire, which I think is what you mean. When 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 Saruman's gone to the Shire, at the they come back. And... Well, the scouring of the Shire is... There's, okay, I'll tell you what I remember, and this is where I'm probably completely wrong and people will tell me. I, I Pretty much I recall when they're travelling back from the coronation of Aragorn and then they spend a bunch of time getting back and, and, and uh, Legolas goes off with Gimli. He's shown him like the dwarf caves or whatever as he does at the end of the two towers and stuff as well but don't they come across saruman and grima and they're kind of broken they're like an arguing couple basically who are like almost become like a comedy duo yeah but it's an arrogant with no power at all and then obviously there's scouring of a shy and sam has to rebuild it with the seeds which he got from and all of that stuff is not in the films understand why but am I mixing something up then? Who's Shark? Wasn't Saruman? Isn't he Sharky or Sharky someone else? Sharky is the one who is the one scouring the Shire. Does it not turn out to be Saruman? I, yeah, I don't remember. Yes, but I don't remember the name Sharky. I think no, that's where I'm. No, I only remember it because it's ridiculous. What was Tolkien thinking at the end? Oh, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I don't know. Sharky? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't actually recall that name at all. Um, I just remember reading it. What, what is this? God, I need to reread it. I mean, it's been many years since I read it. Yeah, but I, 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 well, Sharky is definitely in the end, but whether or not I'm mixing up who he is, it's another story. I mean, it's highly likely. But I do, I do think what you said there about where the books changed from, the, from, sorry, where the films changed from the books, talking about where Boromir, he dies about a third of the way through. But then we got... Prince Imrahil, I can't remember if he survives. I think he does. Oh yeah, becomes he becomes the steward of Gondor, like say for a point. Um, but I um, well, I know that Dane dies in the Dell, and therefore I think probably Bran dies. And I think this is one thing I think the film got wrong. <gasps> What's he said? What I think the film got wrong is at the end of the Return of the King. I don't think that you feel enough loss across the whole of the whole of the, the, the lands. Yeah. Well, across the whole of the lands and across the whole of the characters that you've come across, because when you read the books, you come across these characters and then they're dead in five pages time. Uh, or there's characters which have been in it since the first book and then they're dead. And these guys die and this guy dies and this guy dies. And what you get with the film is you get the loss of Boromir and then you get a, couple of other other characters that uh i think haldir dies 
But at the end of Return of the King, there's the huge battle of the Pelennor Fields. But you don't really... I mean, uh, King Theoden, he doesn't make it. And that's sad. But you kind of... Everyone else kind of gets out of it all right. You know, of everyone that you've been following. Well... And I think when you read the books, you feel this immense sense of loss. Yeah. And ev- and everything's kind of screwed up and the whole world has changed. Um, I think that... Okay, so my take on it... Yes, I think in some ways I kind of agree. But then I kind of think that... And I don't know, this is just from looking at the films. I think that... Well, my interpretation of the book when I read it, the ending, I remember the last couple of pages being really, really poignant and, and, and powerful, literally the last couple of pages. Um, and actually that bit where they sail off from the Grey Havens, that's, I think that's really short in the book. It's just quite short and sharp and quite distant, you know. And for me, it was almost like that whole thing was around was about it was about magic leaving the world and it was about a loss of innocence and you go through these hellish experiences and you're you're never the same the wound never heals yeah and 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 how that's kind of manifest in the story i think is the elves leave middle earth gandalf leaves middle earth even frodo leaves middle earth it's like the magic is gone and now it's time for the dominion of men it's it's like it's almost like you're being forced to grow up Maybe it's like part of it is a classic loss of innocence story, and maybe a part of it as well is the horrors of war kind of story. Everything Tolkien must have gone through, and that I felt was really like unbelievably powerful in the book. On top of all of that stuff about seeing in the real world what happens back with with all this loss, and I think, well, long story short, I I think that Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh, those guys, Pippa, I can't remember her name, something, the three who wrote it, um. They, I, I gather from looking at the film that their main focus was was that part of it, and that's why they had that big scene at the end, a real focus on that Grey Haven scene, mm. and I I think that that was their big interpretation, main interpretation of it, and hence why they focused on that rather than the other things, plus the practical considerations too. But I don't know. That's just how I interpret what they did in the film, I guess. But yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, no, I, just, I mean... That's, I, a, that's I, a long answer. No, no, but I, I agree. But I just think the way the books... I mean, I agree that they couldn't show all the battles and they couldn't bring in all the characters. It would just be chaotic. It would be a, it'd be a mess, actually, probably. But because there are so many different characters in the book that you do actually care about, when they start dropping like flies, you care. And because there's only a couple that drop like flies in the films, it's like, oh, well, we kind of actually all survived this pretty well, actually. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's right. And I think what point I was trying to make was I think they funneled that into that sort of Grey Havens thing. I think, yeah, when you look at it, when you look at the films, they, I think they had a hint of scaring of the Shire, didn't they? When Frodo looks in Galadriel's mirror, but that was, you know, and that actually in the book, that did happen. Yeah. To In some way, well, I know they focused on, like there was Sam, wasn't there? Kind of in chains or whatever. Um, but then the other bit, which they did as well, which actually I think was a foretelling of the future, was when Elrond was talking to Arwen about how she's going to taste the bitterness of death. Yeah. She's going to, you know, fade with the trees or whatever. That was really beautifully done, actually, in the film. That actually is foretelling the future. 
that is what's going to happen to you. Yeah. So I think there was some loss there. But yeah, I think I, I know what you mean. Yeah, I think that if you did see that greater sense of loss and stillness after the huge battle and how everything's screwed up and everything's changed, I think there was an element of, I know the Shire itself seemed like you gone, it was completely unchanged. Yep. But actually in the book, it wasn't completely unchanged. They yep. do kind of go back to it. An idyllic life. An idyllic life, I guess, in some ways. Yeah. But they're changed. The individuals have changed. That's made clear in the film. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking in the book, the whole place has kind of changed a bit. Well, yeah, I think it in the book it really demonstrates that when war comes to a country, it will it will it will affect every corner of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that was a real message of the of the book, wasn't it? You yeah. cannot be blasé about any aspect of war. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I think that's. From a personal perspective, I think when anyone ever gets kind of blasé in any way about war, and I, I always call them up on it immediately, and I think a big part of that was cemented by reading Lord of the Rings when I was an impressionable teenager as well, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, sorry, we quite, quite, went quite kind of deep there for a... Just remember, don't, don't worry, listener, we'll, we'll be back. <laughs> yeah. So, Dane Ironfoot... <laughs> Yeah, he dies, Bran dies, Boromir dies. Anyway. Uh, Bilbo, Bilbo dies, Frodo dies. Yeah, yeah well, do they? Mm. Well, isn't that them? Okay, we're going to have to go. Maybe we'll save that for another podcast. Because <laughs> I, I always thought that that bit, when them say, I thought that was essentially traveling to an afterlife. And that's what, the, that's what those shores on the other side of the sea were. Yes, yeah, yeah. But maybe that's for I mean, that's a whole other discussion. That is a whole that is a whole other story, <laughs> and probably another podcast. I think there are podcasts about things like this. Probably. Oh yeah, and they probably remember the book properly. <laughs> yes, they probably read it like less than ten years ago. <laughs> um. Okay, well, let's get let's get this back onto track a little bit. So, those are the heroes that you get in the first cycle, and uh, yeah, it's a pretty good bunch actually. I think um, you can really mix and match them and really create some interesting setups. But um, yeah, nice. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, what I also want to do on this episode is briefly talk about the neutral cards that you get in that first cycle, and there's there's not many, um, and a lot of them are kind of all grouped together. And um, that's because we have a group of cards which are songs, which are all attachments. Uh, em, do you have them there by hand? Yeah. So um, the first four you get are all are all songs. Um, they all cost one, and they all do a, a similar thing. So I'll read the first one. The first one's called Song of Kings, and the type is song. Uh, attached to a hero, it costs one. Attached to a hero, attached hero gains a leadership resource icon. And it's got some lovely artwork of the white tree of Gondor in there as well. So basically, you pay one, you can attach this to any of your heroes, and that hero can then start spending their resource on leadership cards. So really useful. Now, this obviously opens up the game in many different ways, or gives you more flexibility, I guess. The other next three cards are all songs, which guess what they do. So you've got the Song of Wisdom, which is exactly the same, cost of one, attached to a hero, Attach hero gains a law resource icon. Some lovely artwork on that as well. Then the third one is the song of travel, and that one gives you a spirit resource icon. 
Again, some nice artwork looking out of the Hobbit hole. And the last one is for Song of Battle, which gives you a tactics resource icon. And so, okay, so they have four song cards that you see at this point. So what you start to see here is, okay, so before we're thinking, right, you've got to so always associate particular cards to heroes in terms of sphere. This lets heroes essentially obtain cards across spheres. So it kind of opens up the game a bit from that perspective. But you've got to make sure you get one of these on your hero <laughs> first before you can start doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you are planning to do a sort of a deck which has a sort of a smattering of uh, different sphere in there, you want to definitely put in three uh, songs of that sphere so that you can uh, try and get one out as soon as possible. Otherwise, you're going to have cards in your hand which are essentially useless to you. Um, an important thing to note about the songs is that once they are attached to your hero, that hero is technically classed as that type of sphere. And what I mean by that is that, let's say you put the Song of Kings onto Boromir, so Boromir is a tactics hero, Um, at that point, he will also be a leadership hero. So if you have another card which only affects leadership characters it will affect Boromir at that state. Ah, I did not know that. Yeah. Is, is that something that was explained in the... Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, it will probably come up in the fact at some point. But yeah, basically, you you receive that icon. It's as if, it's as if you have that, that icon. Now, there are a few cards much, much later which state... This for this card to work, the character must have the printed tactics icon or the printed spirit icon. Now that's those were cards were released to purely okay. get around people just chucking songs on uh, on cards <laughs> and then and then using using that card. But there aren't many of them, so actually the majority of the time you can basically add spheres to your heroes, and then they essentially become from dual spheres. So if you have any cards which are sphere-specific, then um, then you can use it. It's very useful. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's no, good to know uh, the detail. So when I first saw these, they immediately jumped up for, oh, okay, right. Now I can start mixing up decks. So I can put some, some of my favorite spirit cards into a deck where I don't have spirit heroes or what have you. I actually had started doing that a small amount using Celeborn's Stone because um, it gives Aragorn a spirit icon. Caliborn's Caliborn's. So I, do you <laughs> I thought to myself before I said that before, make sure you say that correctly. <laughs> and then I misremembered what we decided it was. <laughs> um, Caliborn's Stone. Calibrian Stone. Oh, God. <laughs> Calibrian Stone. We've had this discussion before. That one. <laughs> we got it totally wrong. Yeah, that yeah. one. That one. <laughs> Caliborn may well have a stone, but it's certainly not available in the core set. <laughs> where's my stone these okay. um but yeah so i've i've utilized these cards quite a fair bit since i've been able to get they're really useful yeah they're, they're a great utility definitely yeah and it, it like i say it just opens up the world of deck building you can really start uh dropping in it's uh, uh, like like i say maybe you don't want to build a full lore deck but you do need a few healing cards in there things like that it's just uh opens up the possibilities and but you have to be careful with them as well because if you don't stacks of songs coming up in your deck 
all the time and then it's going to take longer to reach the other cards anyway because you've got more so you know so there's a bit of a balancing act but yeah extremely useful yeah i mean they take up a place in your deck of course which is a problem for people like me who like to stick to a 50 card deck and less of an issue to you who like to stick to an 85 card deck no no i've used <laughs> i don't have a set number <laughs> a deck is precisely as big as it means to be <laughs> anything above 50 is fine <laughs> yes Fifty-one being my favourite. I think. <laughs> All right. So there's only two other cards left in the neutral sphere, which come up in the shadows of Mirkwood cycle. Uh, the next one is an ally. Oh. And it is Radagast. Oh, he's a big guy. Who's an Istari? So one of Gandalf's ilk. He costs five. He quests for two. He hits for one. He has one shield. He has three hit points. And what it says on his card, so he's a starry, like we said, Radagast collects one resource token each resource phase. Okay, so he's not a hero, but he does collect a resource each resource phase. These resources can be used to pay for creature cards played from your hand. Okay, so if you have any creatures in your hand, which I don't think we've seen too many of yet, but I think we'll sort of come to them as the cycle goes on, then you can play them using Radagast pool. Then he's got an action. Spend X resources from Radagast pool to heal X wounds on any one creature. Now, that seems like quite specific stuff on Radagast, and I think in some ways it is quite specific to something we'll come across later. So I suggest probably for now, it's probably not worth diving too much into Radagast at this point. So I think we'll come and discuss him in further detail a bit later on in the in the cycle. Yeah, I agree. I think if you happen to be coming out of the core set and for some reason you just have Radagast in your collection, there's really at this stage no real reason to play him. He's far too expensive for what he does. But as you allude to, there will be a quest coming up relatively soon, which creatures will start to play a big part. So I think, yeah, we'll put Radagast on ice. Mmm, refreshing. <laughs> and um, And we'll come back to him later. I really want a Radagast on ice there. Mm. <laughs> I'm quite thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> the last neutral card uh, that you get in this cycle is an event, and it costs two, and it's called Shadow of the Past. It's got an action. Move the top card of the encounter discard pile to the top of the encounter deck. So, you've read that. So it costs two, so it's not mega cheap. But actually, if you think about it, this could be a savior bacon kind of card. And there's a couple of ways you can use it. You can, well, obviously, when do you get cards in your counter deck? When you're questing and when you're drawing shadow cards. So this, I guess, for two main uses that I think of for this card, and I haven't used it in depth, to be honest, but two main uses for this card I see are you want to make sure, guarantee a certain draw during staging, or you want to perhaps make sure you get a shadow onto an enemy's attacking you, which you know exactly what, what that shadow is, or maybe it hasn't even got a shadow effect on that particular card. You can pop it. Top of your deck, that then become the shadow card for the enemy attacking you. Yeah. Uh, I haven't used it that much, personally. No, it's a pretty specific case to use this card, I think. Um, and one of those specific cases, and I'm going to try and do this without giving away any spoilers, is there are plenty of quests where objectives need to be gathered and sometimes that objective might appear as a shadow card and therefore you can't claim it 
And what happens is it just gets discarded in the usual way. Now, if that shadow goes to the top of the encounter discard pile, you could then play Shadow of the Past, put the objective back onto the top of the encounter deck, therefore guaranteeing it's going to hit your staging area next round. But yeah, that's a very specific uh, use case. But uh, That could be really handy, though. Could be very handy, because there's nothing worse than seeing your objectives disappear into the uh, discard pile when they get drawn as shadow cards. Indeed. Oh, maybe is that why it's called Shadow of the Past? They've just gone right. <laughs> I need that shadow back. <laughs> Could be. I'm going to go with coincidence, but I like ah, it. A coinky dink. <laughs> okay, and that was it for heroes and neutral cards in the entire cycle. So, got through those in double time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, great. Well done, us. Um, That was meant to be a nice quick run through of the heroes and the encounter (laughs) And before you know it, we've done another full-length episode. To the point. Stayed focused. (laughs) (laughs) Weren't sidetracked in any way. No, okay, but we will quickly try and squeeze in our regular sections of the show. So, first up, we got our uh, our fact of the week. I have to see where we're up to. So, this week's fact goes like this. Question. Can a player have cards in his player deck from a sphere that does not... I'm sorry, just reading ahead. <laughs> I've done it again. I've done it again. <laughs> okay, here we go. All right, notes for next time. <laughs> notes for next time. Read ahead okay question can a player have cards in his player deck from a sphere that doesn't match the sphere of one of his heroes well no (laughs) those songs are useless well the answer is obviously yes but it just says here answer there is nothing in the rules that disallows this although a player will need to find clever card interactions to make use of such cards when you say clever card interactions i mean to be honest, even kind of like someone who's yeah, a bit of a dope like me can figure out. <laughs> Actually, I say that. I've probably only noticed the songs. <laughs> There's probably loads of other ones. Yeah, there, <laughs> so, there are the songs, and then there are also clever card interactions. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I take it back. Yeah, that's, cor- that's correct. <laughs> I mean, straight off the bat, you could sneak attack Bayon in if you don't have a tactics hero. Yeah, that's very true. Just one example. Of a clever card interaction. Then there's old uh, Celeborn Stone. Indeed. <laughs> the famous. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I don't think we need to discuss that anymore. We've literally just discussed it. <laughs> um, so just quickly, I just want to uh, reinstate the sharing the love section of the podcast where we discuss other online resources out there of interest. And this is kind of part two of my love of maps, which I I started a couple of episodes ago when we talked about uh, these interactive Lord of the Rings, the card game map that had been started online. Um, And this is not strictly to do with the card game, but more, and maybe in, in keeping with this episode altogether, this is more to do with the lore of the books themselves. And this is the LOTR project. Dot com. Why not? 
Um, and this is a sort of massive map undertaking where using the Atlas of Middle Earth, there are people who are basically creating full timelines across all the ages of Middle Earth, of every location and where they are referenced in the books. And if you're anything like me and likes to spend their time poring over old maps, then, oh boy, you'll have some fun with this. I can while away hours just looking at this map and just looking at locations and going, oh, that's where they went. And then you can look at it through character-specific routes and where they went and what their timelines were. And it really is a detailed project and it's constantly growing. I mean, it's such an undertaking. But um, yeah, it's not strictly to do with the card game itself, but if you're interested in Lord of the Rings, which I think you might be, then do check it out. It's really quite a piece of work. So I've literally just opened this up now as we're talking. As is tradition. And yeah, this looks... Amazing. I, I can sp- and have spent... I, I'm always, I think some people just love looking at maps. And I'm 100% one of those people. I'm really fascinated with maps. And this just looks like, yeah, this could be ours. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, say goodbye to the rest of your afternoon. Oh, so the first thing that's come up is a map of Middle Earth. Just when I clicked on the Maps tab. And a blue wiggly line, which when you hover over it, it says Thorin and Company. And it goes from the Shire <laughs> all the way through Mirkwood, etc., to to Erebor. So it's yeah. So I'm assuming then there's a whole bunch of, like you said, a whole bunch of other characters' journeys mapped out on this, which is pretty amazing. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> you are welcome. So next time when you ask me, so what have you been doing over the past ten days? Like nothing. I think this might actually feature something. Else. <laughs> it's called completely self-referencing. <laughs> uh, okay, so I think that about wraps it up for us for this episode. Um, next episode, I think we will be jumping back onto the quests. So it will be uh, one of our aforementioned spoiler episodes, but uh, of course we'll let you know in the show notes and as a audio warning at the beginning of the episode if that is the case. And that will be a conflict at the Carrick. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So with that, all it leaves me to do is to wish you well, uh, stay safe, and goodbye. Goodbye.